Well, good morning, Celebration. How are we today? Yeah, awesome. Hey, why don't you help me welcome in all of our locations around town. We got Midtown, we got Orange Park, we got Jointon Creek, and of course, we got everybody watching online. Y'all, there's a lot of places you could be on a Sunday morning, and yet here you sit with us. And so for that, um, I just thank you so much. Hey, if you don't know me, uh, my name is Petey Bingham, and I'm the next-gen pastor here at Celebration Church. Um, thanks. Uh, essentially what that means is that I have the opportunity to uh, oversee all of our ministries that minister to those of age zero to 30. So that includes Celebration Kids, Riot, Sub 30, and of course, Celebration College. And listen, I, I gotta tell y'all, um, I absolutely love what I do. Um, I don't take it for granted at all that I wake up every single day and I cannot wait to go to work. <laughs> you know, um, and uh, what God has done with my life is, is something of paramount importance to me. And, uh, and it's amazing, it really is. And truthfully, um, I owe a lot of that gratitude to our lead pastors, Pastor Stovall and Pastor Kerry Weems. Uh, truthfully speaking, I'm just some millennial dude from Jacksonville Beach. And uh, not only do they, you know, give me a shot here, um, but they actually trust me with a microphone on a Sunday, which we'll find out if that's a bad idea or not. But, um, but anyway, if you would, Let's just give it up for them. I just honor them every day of my life. Love them so much. Yes. So uh, you may have noticed when you walked in here at every location here in Jacksonville that we are in our series at the movies, right? And essentially what we do in this series is we take a big major motion picture and we use it as an illustration to push forward some biblical standards. It's really fun. And uh, today I actually have the opportunity to kick us off with one of my favorite movies, Inside Out. Yeah, I love it. Have you ever seen it? Yeah, it's good. It's a good one. If you haven't, you'll watch it today. Anyway, um, uh, it's really, really good. I love it. Essentially, here's, here's what happens. It's about a little girl. Her name is Riley. And, uh, and we actually get to live inside of her head. And not only do we get to watch how her emotions that are personified through these little characters, we get to see how they interact with each other, but also we get to see how it affects her behavior. It's super, super cool. It's a great movie. And truthfully, a great parenting tool um, if you're trying to teach your kids how to deal with their emotions or you just cry in a corner. Anyway, but uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great, great movie. And uh, two of the main characters in the movie are joy personified and sadness personified, and they have this very interesting relationship with each other for the whole movie. And so that being said, today, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about sadness and its relationship with joy. I know it's weird that the poster child of joy up here is going to talk to you about sadness, but it's kind of the point. So just follow me. I promise it's going to be okay. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I'm going to read you a passage of scripture and then we'll pray. And then we'll watch a little bit of the movie just to kind of get a little bit of a taste as to what we're dealing with today. Does that sound good? Awesome. Okay, do me a favor. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Here is what's happening uh, in this context. So Jesus is currently in the Garden of Gethsemane, which means that he is just moments away, not just from his trial and not just from his betrayal, but of course, uh, his ultimate execution. So how many of you know this is a very trying time for Jesus and we get to actually see him wrestle with his emotions. <clears throat> so starting in verse 41 of Luke 22, it says this, he, he being Jesus, withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them. Them are the disciples. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And then an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him or provided encouragement or comfort, right? And being in anguish or grief or pain or sadness, uh, he, being Jesus, prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling 
to the ground. Very interesting that we get to see the savior of the world wrestle with his emotions in this, which is exactly what this movie Inside Out is truly all about. So today I've actually titled this message, There's More Story to Tell. There's more stories to tell. So let's pray. God, we love you so much. And Jesus, we're just so grateful, God, that you are here, God, that you're among us. And God, I pray this morning that I decrease and you increase, God, that these words are yours and not mine. And God, I pray that you give us uh, just divine direction as to how it is we steward our emotions well. God, we're just so grateful for all you do and we're expectant for what you'll do this morning. God, we love you so much. It's in your son's name we pray, amen and amen. So before we move on, why don't we take just a minute to get your feet wet a little bit with this movie? So go ahead and turn your attention to the screen. Man, we've all been up against that Brazilian fighter pilot. I hate him. Anyway, um, good night. I told you it was a good movie. You'll watch it tonight. Anyway, um, but uh, speaking of family, so our family's growing. It's true. Uh, me and my beautiful wife who's sitting here with me, her name's Farah. Uh, we have a 17, oh yeah, you clap for her. She's way better than me. Yes. Wow. Um, but we have a 17-month-old baby girl, and she is the cutest little thing that you'll ever see in your entire life. Her name is Quinn, and I love her to pieces. Yeah, you want to see her? You have no choice. Watch this. Here we go. Oh, yes. Look at that little Thanksgiving turkey. Hey, how you know, man? Check that out. I actually bring down the group average of our family. Isn't that pretty exciting? Anyway, <clears throat> but... Uh, Believe it or not, you might notice there, but my, my wife is actually 27 weeks pregnant with our second kid. That's right. That's right. He's a boy. You ready for his name? This is a good name. You ready for this? Nixon Peter. Come on. Yeah. You're welcome. Can't steal it. It's ours now, but it's good, right? Yeah. You like that? But today, here's what I want to do. I want to talk to you about... Quinn. You know, I love being a dad. I really do. I laugh every single day. Um, it, is, it is hilarious. And just a few weeks ago, uh, my wife had a hair appointment uh, early on a Saturday morning, so she left before Quinn got up. So I was laying in bed, I had the baby monitor, you know, on a nightstand, but I couldn't see it, but it was over there. And, and it's, you know, it's fun for those of you who are parents to kind of like listen to what your baby's doing while they're in their crib, you know? And uh, it's just funny to listen to her wake up, right? Because it, it like kind of goes in this interesting progression where it starts where like the crib kind of starts to move a little bit. And then there's like, like shuffling of the sheets. And then she starts like, you know, like weird whispers. And then it turns into baby babble. But this particular morning, it was like there was 15 kids in the room. I don't know what happened. She just, I mean, it was like a circus in there. Just laughing, having a good time, just screaming, saying things. I don't even know what she's trying to say, but I'm sure she's trying to say something. She was using her crib as like an instrument, you know, like kind of thing. I mean, like it was intense and I was just laughing the whole time. But then all of a sudden it was like this switch went off. I, I don't know what it was. I don't know what happened. It was crazy. And she went from like pure elation to pure like devastation. Devastation. I mean, just crying and mad and angry and sad all at one moment. And it was insane. And all, I didn't even look at the monitor because all that I could think is that one of two things are happening. Either she fell out of the crib or someone walked in my house and punched my baby in the face. So I'm like, I gotta do something about this. So I get out of bed, don't even look at the monitor and I start running. And I get about halfway down the hallway and I smell it. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, so I opened the, the door and y'all, it was like a murder scene. <laughs> it was like somebody lit a firecracker in a porta potty. You know what I'm saying? It was awful. She had, uh, she had gone number two, yeah. She had reached in her diaper and she decided to finger paint on her crib. 
Remember, I was alone, too, if you remember. Anyway, um, <laughs> no, you don't. And I'm just kidding. Uh, so, uh, but it was, it was crazy. And it was interesting because when I got in the room, obviously she'd had so much fun playing with it. But then something happened to where she got frustrated, mad, angry. And the only thing that would fix her is if I came in and comforted her in her mess. And it was awful, but I did it because I'm a dad and that's what I do. So, but here's what I've noticed about Quinn. What I've noticed is that as she grows, it actually becomes increasingly more, uh, more common. I think they call those things tantrums. But uh, anyway, and what happens is, is no matter what happens, when she's left to her own devices, she'll be playing with a toy, she'll be watching a movie, she'll be talking, she'll be playing in her crib, whatever. But left to her own devices, it's like she hits this wall of frustration. And before you know it, she's freaking out. And the only thing that will help her is if me and her mom comes in to help comfort her through it. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting how that works. Left to her own devices, she's just always defaulting to grief. Oh. But you know, the more that I think about it, the more that I realize that that is actually very true of life in general, right? It's almost like sadness is seemingly inescapable, right? And it seems like when, when our lives are lived by default, they just somehow default themselves to some form of, of sadness. You see, sadness can be birthed in two different ways. The first way it can be birthed is uh, by way of a sin, right? A committed sin. Or the second way is simply by the fact that you are living in a fallen world, right? That's, I'm, it's out of your control. It just kind of is what it is and you experience it. But the interesting thing about life is that for whatever reason, left to our own devices, we default to it. However, it requires something bigger than us, something uh, that knows us, something that gets us, that comes in third person in order to comfort us through situations that really brings joy to sadness. In other words, in a fallen world, uh, a life lived by default leads to grief, but a life of intentionality with God leads to joy, right? And so here's what, I, here's what I've, I've come to realize is that uh, sadness is an interesting beast, you know, because sadness is, uh, again, it's, it's something that we cannot escape, right? It's something that will always be there and it's something that's not gonna go away this side of heaven. And here's how I know it. I know it because I just read to you how even Jesus Christ, the son of man, right? The son of God, God himself with flesh on him, right? Showed up and felt it as well. In fact, Jesus himself said in uh, John 16, that in this world, we will have trouble, but take heart for he has overcome the world. But notice with me real fast that it doesn't say uh, uh, in this world, you might have trouble or in this world, you'll probably have trouble or in this world, there's a good chance you're going to have trouble. No, no, no. What Jesus says is in this world, you will have trouble. Meaning that sadness is inescapable. But what if I told you that that was a good thing? Here's, here's what I mean. Think about uh, 2 Corinthians 12, right? It says that in our weakness, he is made strong, right? Which means that it's in our weakness that he is made strong, which means that you could deduce then that your effectiveness can actually be measured by the amount of suffering that you face in your life, right? It's God working things together for good in your life, taking the weakest parts of your life, the things in your control or out of your control that God is now using to shape you into something else, right? Your effectiveness can actually be measured by the suffering that you face. Or, or, or in other words, it's the adversities of life that God uses to make you more like him, 
right? Because sadness is something that's inescapable, but luckily we don't serve a God who's okay with us staying there. And so therefore, he's gonna always be moving in our life, always gonna be providing guidance and always coming for comfort, right? So that being said, so that being said, what that means is this. If sadness is inescapable, then it's irresponsible of us to think that we can eradicate it, right? It's irresponsible of us to think that we can get rid of it because if in our weakness he's made strong, why would we want to get rid of it, you know? So it's irresponsible. In fact, the expectation is set wrong when we say, I want to get the sadness out of my life. No, no, no. Here's what I challenge you with today. How about this? How about your perspective changes if you're dealing with a sad situation, right? That maybe what you shouldn't do is try to get it out, but instead embrace it all the more. That's the secret, right? So that being said, cool, that sounds great in theory, but how do you do that, especially in the fog of sadness? How do you actually embrace something that's bringing you down? It's a great question, and that is what I want to talk to you about, all right? I have three ways this morning as to how we can better embrace sadness in our life. Three methods of embracing sadness, So here's the first one. The first one is simple. Call it what it is. Call it what it is. Here's what I found out. I found out that that my change that I have in my life can actually be directly measured by what I say about it, right? It's the things that I say about my sadness that actually create the lasting change. Here's here's what I mean by that. Okay, so uh, I was going through a very trying time in my life. I'll tell you a little bit more about it in a second, but uh, I, I was sitting with a counselor right? And, uh, and clearly there was a lot going on. There was, there was a lot of deep feeling and all that stuff. And, and, uh, and she said, Petey, let me ask you a question. And I said, okay. And she said, um, do you need comfort? And I said, yeah, yeah, I think so. And she said, okay, well, what does comfort look like to you? And I said, I don't know. I don't know. And she said, okay, well, how are you comforted as a kid? And I said, I don't know. And then she said, were you comforted as a kid? And I said, no, I I guess I wasn't. And she said, does that make you sad? And I said, yeah, yeah, I I think it does. And then she proceeded to just read my mail. And here's what she told me. She said, here's the truth, PD, is what you do is in these moments, instead of embracing the sadness, what you do is you sweep it under a rug and you push it to the back of your psyche until one day it's gonna fester and fester and fester and fester. And before you know it, it's gonna explode and you're not gonna like the kind of person that you are when it happens. So I finished my Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I stopped crying and, uh, and I worked my way through it and I realized that that is some of the most uh, amazing advice you could give anyone is to simply just call it what it is. Listen to this. This is, this is really, really interesting. This is, from, uh, this is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 12. It says, anxiety in the heart of man causes depression, right? So that's what we're talking about today. It causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. Now here's what I want to open up to you. This is what I offer to you today. Keep in mind that God is a God of relationship. He's God Yahweh, right? He's a God of a two-way street, not just a one-way street. And so when we say that a good word is going to make it glad, it doesn't just mean that the word will be incoming. It also means we have a responsibility to keep it outgoing, 
You see what I'm saying? It's what you say about yourself. It's what you say about your situation. It's what you say about reality is happening inside of you so that it can get out so that there can be lasting change. That, my friends, is why James chapter five tells us to confess our sins to one another. That's why the book of Romans, even when we're getting saved, says that we believe in our heart and we what? Confess with our mouth because whatever is inside has got to get out into reality and that's where it really takes tangible presence in your life. Does that make sense? Because see, here's here's the truth. The truth is, is that today in today's society, we have never in the history of humankind been more apt to experience sadness on a daily level than we ever have before in all of humankind. And really, a lot of the reason for that is because of the rise of technology, right? The more access you have to good, well, the more access you have to bad, right? That's why God didn't want Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the first place, right? Because the more access you have to one, the more access you have to another. That's how the enemy works, unfortunately. But what that means is that sadness is only, only taking ground worse and worse, it seems like, every single day. Uh, Check this out. How about next year in 2018, statistically speaking, half a billion people in the world will be diagnosed with severe depression. Half a billion people in the world with severe, that's diagnosed severe depression. 10% of America, people in the United States, 10% of them will face some sort of severe depressive episode in 2018. Here's some more that hits a little more closer to home with me as a next-gen pastor, right? How about this? 11% of adolescents will experience depression before they turn 18. And not only that, listen to this. How about this? 30% of college students self-identify as dealing with depression on a daily basis. Isn't that scary? That scares me. But see, the truth is, is that we can't hide it. Right? We can't just be a statistic. We have to speak it out. We have to tell each other. We have to be there for each other. We have to not only let people speak a good word into us, but we need to speak a word out of us as well. It's gonna have to happen. We have to call it what it is to at least start the change. Does that make sense? Cool. <clears throat> so first way, you call it what it is. Number two, number two, next thing you can do is you can uh, recognize that you can only control what you can control. Sounds elementary, but let me tell you what I mean by that. So when I, when I was dealing with all this stuff with Quinn, obviously I, I wanna be as best a parent as I possibly can. And so I wanna be proactive. And so I wanna make sure that like, is there something that I can do to stop Quinn from having these tantrums? What can I do? And so I decided that I would pull out the big guns and I went and talked to the daughter whisperer himself. Ryan Hodges, that's right. You know Pastor Ryan and Pastor Marie, they're our uh, celebration worship pastors. They have four daughters, y'all, four. They rage in age from seven to 15. They're trying to keep their girls away from boys, and I'm still trying to keep mine away from touching the trash can every five minutes, but it is what it is. I guess there's some similarities there. But anyway, um, I'm learning. I'm learning, Marie. Learning. So I go to Ryan and I say, Ryan, I need your help, man. She just keeps throwing these tantrums, and I don't know what to do, and I want to comfort her, but like, I just don't even, I want to, what do I do? And he laughed at me. And he said, listen, man, you just can't control it. And I said, thanks, Ryan. So I walked away mad. No, I'm just kidding. So, but here's the truth. The more that I thought about it, the more that I realized, wow, that is some of the most wise advice I've ever gotten. Because here's what I learned in that simple moment was that it's so true. Life is about differentiating between what you can control and what you can't control. Let me put it this way. The things that you can control, those are the things that you can steward well. 
right? The things that you can't control, well, those are the things that you just simply give to God. I say simply, it's a little more complicated than that, but regardless, simply give them to God. For example, I don't have the ability, I can't control that Quinn is going to throw a tantrum. I can't do it. I don't have that ability. But what I can do is be a comforting dad in the moment. I can't let the enemy get a foothold and get me frustrated so that I'm, when she's frustrated, I'm frustrated. I can't do that. But that's something I have control over. Right? You don't have control over maybe some financial situations in your life. You don't have control over maybe the way that people treat you or the things that they say about you. Or perhaps maybe the boss that you have at work or maybe uh, certain conditions of your marriage or your kids or whatever it may be. There might be parts of that that you don't have control over. But the trick is, is that you notice what do I have control over and steward those well. Because the truth is the things that you can't control, well, luckily you serve a God who can and you'll notice that as you steward the things that you can control well, the things that can't seem to uh, divinely make sense. Yeah, seem to make some interesting things because here's why. What happens is, is in this moment, there's this interesting time where sadness and joy kind of live together in this interesting harmony. And honestly speaking, it's a little counterintuitive. Uh, it's not necessarily what you would uh, imagine it to be, but it, you would think that joy is joy and sadness and sadness. But the more that you live your life, the more that you start to realize, right, that, that sadness and joy seem to, in some cases, live together in this weird, inexplicable harmony. And that is what we actually see Riley, the little girl in Inside Out, deal with. We see that she gets to a point where she matures enough to recognize that some of her memories are diagnosed simply by joy and others are diagnosed by sadness. But now she's starting to find that in some cases they're beginning to melt together. And I want to show you what happens when she makes that realization. So if you would, turn your attentions back to the screen. Yeah, so those, those moments are some of the most defining moments of our whole life. You know, when we experience a grief that perhaps maybe we've never experienced at such a level before, and then before you know it, this, this sick and twisted thing almost happens where this joy kind of creeps its way in. And it's like this moment that you can't really put words to, right? It's interesting how God uses those moments, you know? How God takes some of the saddest points of your life, being a God who works all things together for good, truly does just that and wastes nothing and turns one of the more downcast sides of your life into something that grew you in ways that you never thought possible. You know, I found out in my life that, uh, that sadness might be a starting place, but it doesn't have to be a final destination. You know, sadness is, it's something... It's something that you can uh, certainly experience and get stuck in. But I want you guys to know today that God doesn't want you stuck there. Yeah, God, God wants to do mighty things with your story and with your testimony. You know, I wish I had more time to, to tell you about my testimony. Um, I don't. But uh, if I had to use words to describe it, I would use words like um, rejection, uh, misunderstanding, isolation, um, heartache, sadness and loss. You know, one of the things that stayed true um, to me growing up was, was my dad. You know, my dad was, he was there for me every step of the way. He was there for me and my little sister um, through everything that we endured as kids. And um, man, the whole time stayed strong and he worked his butt off to, to keep us on our feet. And, um, 
I went to college and um, I got a job as a sixth grade teacher when I graduated and my dad made me move in with him to save money. And I, I came home and I, 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 one morning I had a, a normal day. I woke up and I took a shower and, and I came out of the shower and I hugged him. And I told him, have a great day. And I went to work and well, I wasn't at work for about an hour until I got a knock at my door. And, um, and it was my principal and my vice principal and a substitute teacher. And uh, they open the door, substitute teacher walks in. I walk out, I thought I got fired. But they come in and they hand me a phone and don't say anything. So I grab the phone and, and I answer it. And there's a man on the other side and he says, is this Peter Bingham Jr.? I said, yeah, yeah, this is him. And he said, uh, your father's had a heart attack and he's deceased. And we need you to call a funeral home to come get his body. His body's laid across his bed at your house. And um, <laughs> yeah, you wanna know about sadness and grief and, um, and confusion? Man, that was it. It was like a wall. And um, yeah, I, I wish I could tell you that I took my own advice. I wish I could tell you that I, I called it what it was. I wish I could tell you that I tried to differentiate between what I could control and what I couldn't control, but I did it. Um, I, just, I just tried to stuff it, you know, and I went to work. And um, I took legal guardianship of my little sister and we worked our butts off to stay in the house that she could stay in the school she was in and got her through it and, and, and got her to college and, and had to work from there. And, and it wasn't until I hit a, hit a rock <laughs> that I realized I needed help. And so I sought it out and that's where I landed with a counselor and with a lot of help and a lot of help from my family here at Celebration. And, um, and, they, and they walked me through it. And I tell you what, in some weird, sick and twisted way, <laughs> the saddest moment of my life became one of the most defining moments of my life because I wouldn't be the man I was today if God didn't use it. I would go as far to say that it led me to even talking to you today and sharing this story with you um, because I'm telling you, I'm living, walking, breathing testimony that God is a God who's for us and he's not against us. And God is a God whose presence goes before you. Here's what I know, God didn't will that my dad have a heart attack on his bed. But what my, but what my God did do is that he didn't waste a single moment of it and he made a man out of me. Yeah. So here's what I know, I know that, uh, and I know that we've all faced sadness before, and unfortunately we will face it again in the future, but what I know is that there's probably quite a few of us, especially around the holidays, that are dealing with it now. And, um, and I want you to know that I'm sorry. And I want you to know that, uh, that it's gonna be okay. And I want you to know that you deserve joy. That Jesus bled, tear, bled out of his tear ducts in the garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says in Isaiah that he was a man of sorrows, that he felt suffering that we would never feel to that extent, that God felt your pain. What you have to understand is that Jesus died and had that moment so that you could be deserving of it. Doesn't make sense. Grace doesn't make sense. But here's what I know is that it's true because I am living, walking testimony that God is in the business of making people better and whole and healed. And I want you to know today that if you're, if you're suffering sadness, if you're suffering grief, if you're suffering from anguish, if you're suffering from, from any of those things, here's what I want you to know. What you need to remember is that some of life's greatest joys are forged in the fire of some of life's greatest points of sadness. And this is simply what it means. 
It means that if you're marked by sadness right now, if you're marked by grief and anguish, this is what I want you to know. If you're marked by sadness, there's just simply more story to tell. And God's got big things for you. And God has a plan for you. And God wants to see you whole. And so here's what I'm gonna ask that you do. Yeah. What I'm gonna ask that you do is at every location, Midtown, Orange Park, Joint Creek, even if you're watching online, and of course, right here at the arena, I want you to just close your eyes and bow your head. And I'm gonna ask a question. I'm not gonna make you do anything weird. I promise it's not gonna get bizarre. What I wanna know is I wanna give you the opportunity to simply call this what it is. And in just a second, I'm gonna to count to three. And if, if you're uh, facing sadness, if you're facing grief or pain in your life right now, I, I'm gonna to count to three and I want you to lift your hand. I'm not gonna make you do anything weird, but I want you to have the opportunity to publicly call it what it is. And then I wanna pray for you. And then we'll move on from there. So if you would, if you're facing a trying time, I want you to lift your hand. And one, two, three, lift them high. Oh, I'm so sorry. All right, you can put them down and keep your eyes closed every location. And here's what I wanna to do too. This is uh, to embrace sadness. Obviously we call it what it is. We recognize what we, uh, that we can't control what we can't control. And here's the third thing. The third thing is to restore to the joy of your salvation. You know, the, 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 the time with my dad, it, it, was, it was hard, it was trying, but I tell you what, one of the things in hindsight that I look back and see is that I never experienced God at such a deep level that I did in that moment. I never felt comfort. Remember that question? Have you felt comfort? I didn't even know the kind of comfort that I felt in that moment until I worked through all of this. And I realized that that realization of the gospel, that realization of what Jesus endured in the garden of Gethsemane and ultimately on the cross, the realization of my salvation and your salvation, the realization of that brought me a joy that I can't even put words to. And so today I wanna offer you the opportunity to either, of course, recognize it or maybe commit or recommit your life to Jesus right here, right now, because I promise you, man, that kind of worldview will radically change your world in a way that I didn't think was gonna work before, but y'all, it works. And I'm walking proof of it. So if you wanna give your life to Jesus or recommit your life to Jesus, I'm gonna count to three and I want you to lift your hand. Ready? One, two, three. Go ahead and lift him high. That's great. So great. All right, you can put him down and you can look at me. I'm gonna pray for all of you who raised your hand for sadness. And I just want you to know that God's still telling your story, that there's a lot more to have. There's a lot more to come in your life. And God's got big, massive things in front of you. One of the most challenging things for me as a parent is to recognize that the most healthy thing that I can do for baby Quinn and ultimately baby Nixon is let them experience sadness because it's in their weakness that God will grow strong in their life. And I'll have the joy of watching their salvation ultimately gone and then their story changed the world. And I want you to know that your story has the same kind of power. So if you would, I wanna pray for all of you who raised your hands and then we'll pray together for everyone who raised your hand for salvation. So let's pray, God, we love you so much. And Jesus, we're just so grateful, God, that you are among us right now. God, I am just so grateful, God, that you are good in every situation. God, you are good in every circumstance. And God, no matter what's happening, no matter what feeling may be alive, Jesus, that you are working and moving in the hearts of your people in ways that we can't even put words to. And God, right now, I just thank you for everyone who currently is, is, is dealing with anything in their life of sadness or grief. God, I know with expectancy, God, that you are building a testimony that will not only radically change their world, but will radically change the world as we see them embrace a deeper level of this, of this moment, of this weakness, and God, see your strength come through it. God, I pray for peace. I pray for healing, and I pray for miracles in their lives. 
And church, if you'd repeat after me, we're gonna pray for everybody who did that prayer of salvation. We're all gonna say it together, every location, Joynton Creek, Orange Park, Midtown, let's pray this together. God, I love you. I give my life to you. I give my whole heart to you. I thank you for dying so that I could have life. I put everything in your hands. And God, I thank you with an expectant heart that this is the beginning of a beautiful story. God, I love you so much. And it's in your son's holy and precious name that we pray. Amen and amen.